You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Dear Colgate, I love that you love that I love being at home. You even let me whiten my teeth from home. Because you know how I feel about getting up from my cloud couch. The Colgate Optic White LED Kit gives professional-level results in just 10 minutes a day for 10 days when used as directed. And that's why, Colgate, I want you to meet my parents. Because ever since meeting you, I've been living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Talk Back, the Dramatist Guild's conversation about the theater world we see and the one we want to see. I'm your host, Christine Toy Johnson. In the arts, labels and stereotyping often feel like business as usual. This is true when it comes to assumptions based on age as well. Women, especially, are assumed to have some sort of expiration date, as though at a predetermined year or time, we simply cease to be interesting or viable or worth telling stories for or about. But age also begets experience, and with experience comes many, many rewards. Some of our most exciting accomplishments occur after years of effort and hard work. My guests for today's episode are Caroline Aaron and Sarah Tuft, Two women who are fighting ageism and the assumptions that come with it head on. Here's our talk. Welcome, Sarah and Caroline. Will you please introduce yourselves to our listeners? Sarah. Hi, I'm Sarah Tuft and a playwright and a member of the executive committee of Honor Roll, which is an action and advocacy group for women plus playwrights over 40. Caroline. I am Caroline Aaron. I'm an actress and writer, and I am delighted to be here today. Thank you so much for being here. Sarah, I want to start uh, with you. Uh, you have a long and accomplished career as a storyteller using many different mediums. Mm-hmm. I wondered if you could tell us uh, when you started writing. So um, I came into playwriting as uh, an artist who was responding to 9-11 and shortly thereafter began looking at theater and never turned back. There was just a perfect fit there. It took me a long time to sort of self-educate around a survival job in television, but eventually found my voice and uh, just really feel passionate about theater, having started always as a storyteller. Thank you. Caroline, you've been having an incredible career as an actor for many years, and among many things that I love about your work, I, I of course, love The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Can you tell us how you got started uh, as an actor first? Oh, sure. Um, Well, I started at summer camp because we had a choice between going on mountain climbing trips or being in a play. So that was a duh. (laughs) Um, I didn't want to climb up a mountain. So I picked another mountain to climb, which was the mountain of acting. And I just loved it. And when I thought back about it, you know, I was really young, but it was an all girls camp. So we got to do all the best parts because we were playing the boys and the girls. Mm-hmm. Um, so I loved that, I have to say. And I didn't get that splash of cold water in my face until I made it my profession. 
before I graduated from college, I auditioned for and was included in an experimental theater that was set up in Washington, D.C. by Lee Strasberg, Peter Brook, and Yerzy Grotowski. It was a very celebrated time in the early 80s where, you know, um, experimental theater was really very exciting. And I did that for a number of years, but I really missed, you know, applause the roar of the grease paint, the smell of the crowd. So I moved to New York City and started my career there, getting backstage, going to auditions, and eventually was cast by an English director in an off-Broadway production. I was non-equity, so I was not allowed to be cast, but because he was from England and he didn't know our rules, he insisted on me, which was wonderful. And the play opened the Harold Clerman Theater on Theater Row, Harold Clarman was still alive, and he was. It was the inaugural production that named the theater after him. Wow. So that was the beginning of my acting career in New York. That's mm. fantastic. And what now? I understand that you have been writing. Uh, what inspired you to start writing? I was approached by a producer who was doing a spoken word evening. They were looking for writer performers, and the prompt, so to speak, was called Afterbirth. And it was about how your life changed once you became a parent. You wrote an essay, you read it out loud. It's sort of a, you know, a, a cabaret bar setting. And the thing blew up. It became a book called Afterbirth. Several of my essays were included in it. It was very exciting. So then I wanted, like Sarah, I needed to self-educate. Um, even at that time, I thought, am I too old to start over or start anew? And um, I wanted to be an example of there is no such thing. Hmm. I don't think art has any age. I think all we do is limit ourselves. So I started taking classes. There were not very many playwriting classes in Los Angeles. So I took screenwriting classes, TV writing classes, and I just started writing. And uh, a producer who knew me in Los Angeles came to me with a book and said that she wanted to make this book into an evening. I read this book. It was a collection <laughs> of essays. Um, by women about bad boyfriend experiences. And I read it and read it and read it. And I thought, this is such a great opportunity for me. She had seen my essays that I had done for Afterbirth and was very interested in me writing this and configuring it. But I just could not wrap my mind around it because one essay after another represented women as being dumb mm. naive um, victims. And I just, I just did not speak to me. But I pitched her another idea for a play, which she accepted called Such a Pretty Face, which um, was a collection of anecdotes, essays, and scenes on the landscape of women and chasing beauty. Mm. And that play was my very first play and has been optioned many times and uh, performed a couple of times, has had a couple of productions. And after that, I was like, Sarah, I went, oh my God, I'm home. It's like somebody gave me the key to the front door. So I have been taking classes and writing ever since oh, fantastic. and have found, you know, one of the big obstacles of entering at this point in life is very difficult. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great segue to mm-hmm. Sarah. Um, I want you to please tell us about Honor Roll and what the uh, impetus was to start the, the group and, and what you've been doing. Thanks, Christine. And I loved hearing about your journey, Caroline, as mm-hmm. someone who greatly appreciates your portrayal as Shirley. It's so 
fascinating to hear this sort of organic way you you found your voice. And I, I really related to all of the things that touched you and moved you as you moved into becoming a playwright. Um, Honor Roll began prior to my joining by a, a post that someone did on Facebook saying, I love all these young women getting opportunities and it's fantastic and what a welcome change this is. But what about the generation that was overlooked or kept out when we were coming up when we were young enough and now we're older and being overlooked because of ageism? And <laughs> that single post got just an incredible um, response on Facebook, hundreds and hundreds of likes and comments. And someone said, let's get together and have a meeting. And the first meeting was in Teresa Reback's home. And we have 920 members now. I'm closing in on 1,000 because membership's going up very fast. And it's a very diverse group because it's a very intersectional issue. Um, if you were held back by sexism, you were also held back by racism. If you're a person of color, um, you were also held mm -hmm. up back by ableism. And then, then all of a sudden there's ageism. And it, believe me, when you're getting older, it does seem like all of a sudden as you're you know, facing all these obstacles. So the, the, about a year after that original meeting at Teresa's house, there was another one at Susan Miller's. And out of that, um, we started meeting at the Dramatist Guild and the executive committee formed just because uh, we were the most active. And that would be Cynthia Cooper, Cheryl Davis, Yvette Hellinger, Olga Humphrey, Jackie Reingold, Lucy Wang, and myself. This sort of intersectional bias and being kind of the generation caught in between things. But all of this has made me um, so aware, and it's an interesting time to have this awareness. Theaters, mm. um, theater's rigidity and theater, like every other industry, the way in which theater mimics the larger picture of a society that um, is a, a patriarch. You know, it's, um, it's, it's, it's based on imperialistic values. So the haves get more and the have-nots get less. And in our larger society, that's an economic issue. In, in playwriting, it's an opportunity issue. So mm -hmm. there are things larger than just ageism, I think. Uh, I'm, I'm so thrilled and excited um, that out of this miserable pandemic, we have uh, this call for equity that's finally being heard, especially for BIPOC playwrights um, and theater people in general, especially at the highest levels of uh, leadership. I would just love it if we also look at the larger picture of how opportunity is provided to those who already have a list of credits, who already have a name, how, um, how playwrights are commissioned or playwrights are programmed. Is it possible to just have a more welcoming, more inclusive set of standards that's based on the actual work? So it's just I've, all these questions I'm wondering. I'm just, I think, like everyone else, yearning for equity, and I have ideas about how that can happen. So Honor Roll is definitely about combating ageism, recognizing its intersectionality, and um, moving forward, trying to open up opportunities for everyone at every level of talent. I think it's very interesting that you're saying that, Sarah, because I feel like, um, you know, one a play that I wrote once I came back to New York um, that I developed at the new group, and I submitted it, you know, as you do when you're kind of a beginner, it's it's a very strange experience to be an old beginner, but that's what I am. And um, it's and I submitted to a lot of programs and uh, the Women's Project in New York, as an example. All of the people that I was submitting to 
were certainly under 40 who were mm -hmm. the deciders or the leaders of these institutions and they all had great uh, talk on their websites about inclusivity, diversity, wanting a range of voices. And I looked back at their history of when they were selecting new plays and none of them had selected plays by people who were over 40. Mm -hmm. And age is not considered a form of diversity. I must say that trying to enter the playwriting realm over 50 has been discouraging and really difficult. And so I think that this is a, you know, um, the last conquerable territory. I think that in general, yes, we live in a patriarchal society, but certainly in this country, we, we throw away um, people after a certain age. I feel like if you are of a certain age, um, people are not interested in your stories. I think also what we have to keep working towards is chipping away at certain assumptions that um, that we run up against all the time, like you've been you've both been talking about that. Uh, what is an emerging writer? Mm -hmm. What is an emerging artist? Does it have to be attached to uh, numerical age? Um, and mm -hmm. this is something that I think uh, honor roll is certainly addressing mm -hmm. and we just have to keep bringing it up and in, into the forefront of conversations a couple of years ago i was having a conversation with an artistic director at a very well-respected regional theater and we were talking about how they find their writers to include in new works programs and he said to me if you're over 25 and we don't know you, you're mm. probably not good. That's mm -hmm. right. And that blew me away because mm -hmm. even though mm -hmm. I'm sure that assumption is pretty widely held, um, yes. <laughs> it was it was a big slap in the face to me because because I also did not start writing till much later in my life. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Sarah, I'm interested to know uh, what kind of impact you've seen mm -hmm. already in the, because Honor Roll, how, how old is Honor Roll? I, I think at this point, maybe two years. Mm. I got oh. involved a year ago. Um, I, I just, before I move on, I would love to talk about Honor Roll, but I just feel at the top of the episode, Christine, you mentioned that particularly for, for women, there's a, a larger um, issue as we age. And I think there's an archetypal disdain for older women. I think it's yes. just been right. in our yes. culture forever. And I often think about the witch. If you think about all the characteristics of a witch, 
these are all things that physiologically happen as we age. The warts, the nose gets more hooked, the gray frazzled hair, you know, hair texture changes, the stooped. And yet this is this terrifying creature, the witch, you know, evil. Why? And, and yes, ageism also affects men and, um, and, and any gender really. But I think for women, there's a, a larger um, bias that's, that's got deep roots. I would love to talk about some of the opportunities that have been created. Um, just very quickly, we've had panels with, with TV writers who we started out as playwrights. We've had panels with, with directors and ADs speaking with us. We had four of those. We've had two publishing deals, one through Applause Books of 10-Minute Plays and Monologues. The new one that just came up is through Next Stage Press. Um, the Playing On Air podcast is looking at our work. And um, it just sort of goes on and on. And this is all self-initiated. That's kind of the most important part. Oh, we have a Say Their Names, eight minutes and 46 second plays. Um, they're by our, our um, BIPOC women, honor roll, playwrights. And uh, there's a reading and they are each picking a name of a woman who's been murdered at the hands of police and writing a, a play. The one that I have been interested in from the beginning is to create a fellowship very specifically for women plus playwrights over 40. And I, um, I came to that because of my own experience. I mentioned earlier that it, it took me a long time to find my voice because I was working around a very demanding full-time job. And with that awareness, I became very aware of the many, 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 many reasons why a woman plus playwright over 40 can still be emerging. First of all, as the pandemic has reminded us, childcare often falls to the women, no matter what is said, no matter what is hoped for in a marriage, in a partnership, the woman ends up, even if it's just because the kids are going to say, mommy. Um, mm -hmm. So that's an issue. Elder care often falls to women as the, the daughter is usually taking care of the mother and the son's off doing whatever he wants. That's just the thing. Um, and then you also just have the fact that we're paid less. So there's no doubt about that. So a, a woman plus artist is going to do three part-time survival jobs compared to the one. And the final piece is that women are discouraged, especially this generation. Our stories are not being told, mm. particularly about what the experience is of being 40, 50, 60, um, being past child rearing and mm -hmm. moving on into something else. I never see a woman in her 50s and 60s as the center of a story in new plays very often. That's and so true. I think it's just a loss. It, it, you not only have to break through being female, then you have to break through not being a young female because if being female has any currency, it is certainly in being young. And Absolutely. after that, its currency starts to dwindle, 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 dwindle. And it's very important, you know, that if you don't see yourself being represented anywhere, whether it's in paintings or music or plays or government, then you start to internalize your insignificance and invisibility. Mm. That's and that's what we have to, we have to break through that. I, I also just want to back up a little bit and, and affirm that I truly believe, because I think that all three of us are probably doing this, women are writing characters yes. over 40. They are just not being as produced. Absolutely. And I think that really speaks to whose stories get to be told and through whose lenses. I, I actually was going to jump in on that one too, because I happen to know that in Honor Roll, there are, um, there's a vast wealth of plays written for women over 40, over 60, elderly women, 
it's, it's, it is <laughs> anytime somebody puts up a call and says, I'm looking for plays, there's a big jump saying, I have, I have. And uh, recently, Heather Holinsky from the Jewish Play Project, and I hope I pronounced her name right and the project name correctly, but she posted saying, we're looking for more women over 40 on our stages. So we're looking for readers, if anyone has time to read a few plays in honor roll, mm-hmm. and also we're looking for work. So I think there's some growing awareness. I still have not recovered from Hillary. I've written a play about her that I quite love, and, um, you know, when the rumors were flying, would Hillary throw her hat in the ring? But, you know, she was already pushing the envelope this past time. And you just knew that there were, that to to overcome being female and in your 70s was way, way too big a jump for her to make. And I do believe that as artists, you know, we are the witnesses and the recorders of the times that we live in. And it would be very unfortunate if the stories of important women were just invisible. Mm-hmm. That's so and true. I think, you know, I think it's, it, you know, when history goes back and looks at us, um, will there be any presence of um, women of a certain age, no matter what their ethnicity is and how, how much will women be represented to tell the stories of what was it like to be alive today? Right. So we have to write ourselves into the narrative, right? We, totally we have do. to. <laughs> yes, That's so do. important. Yes. So I wanted to uh, go back to asking you both um, what advice you might have for people who are, are contemplating starting writing, even if, it's, if they're past whatever age. I, I always tell anyone who has the slightest impulse to start writing that to just go for it because they literally have nothing to lose and everything to gain. And I, mm-hmm. I wondered if you have any words of advice for those people. I really feel like one of the greatest parts of theater is it's often very hard to tell where one artist ends and another begins. Mm. That the writer, that the actor, that the producer, that the designers, that when it's really working it is a glorious collaboration. And I think that you need to grab your friends. You need to self-produce. You need to do readings. And it's a very, it's, it, it's such a discouraging thing. After I wrote my first play and then I found out I not only have to write it, but I have to get it out there. I may have to produce it. I may have to find the people who are interested in being a part of this with me. I thought, oh, I've written the play. Phew. Now I can hand it off. There is no handing off your creativity. You are in charge of it all. And right now, technology has given us all tremendous opportunities for a distribution system that, you know, is very far and wide. When I was coming along, an actor was an actor, a writer was a writer, a director was a director. And when I teach and I tell all young actors, be good at all of it. Be good right, at every single right. thing. And I would say it's very exciting and challenging and and also just wrap your mind around the fact that, you know, you're not going to be able to necessarily hand off your voice to someone else. You're going to have to be your own advocate. Great advice. How about you, Sarah? Mm-hmm. I completely agree with Caroline. I, I didn't even sort of look at it that way. Um, but I definitely think you have to follow your own journey. Don't compare yourself to other writers. And I would also advise to um, understand the industry. I think I, I spend a lot of time just writing and not really knowing it, um, understanding mm-hmm. 
anything even about submission opportunities. And fortunately, now there are so many Facebook groups and, and Twitter feeds and all different ways you can figure out, you know, what it is and where you can send those, those plays. And maybe, you know, you're just starting out the 10 minute play has always been um, a great way to build community and have your voice be tested because it is collaborative. It is just the blueprint until you're in a collaborative process with the dramaturg and a director and cast. And I think for, for almost all of us, I would assume it, it, that is the real joy is in Mm -hmm. bringing, bringing up this baby together, you know, finding its Mm -hmm. best shape with the insights and wisdom and talent and craft of your fellow theater artists. So you sort of want to find community. It's definitely not a solo a solo game. And even in these days of pandemic, um, it's on Zoom. So it's a great way to kind of find some people to put together and put up a Zoom, as they used to say, put up, up a show on the barn. But mm-hmm. um, there's there's limitations now. And there's also new opportunities, especially if you're just finding your voice. And I, I think mostly trust your voice, right? Yes, thank you. Theater Speak can your be truth. whatever comes yes. from your heart. Um, yes. Absolutely. I'd like to plug the, in answer to that, I just want to plug the Dramatist Guild for a Mm. second, which is I took two writing classes through the Dramatist Guild. I always want to be in a class and I always want to be learning. Accountability is very valuable to me. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's true of everybody else, but I need other people, um, you know, to be a part of this process and the classes were inspired and fantastic. So I encourage everybody in the spirit of what Sarah was talking about is start with the classroom is the beginning of your community. You will find your people. Absolutely. The Dramatist Guild Institute is one of the crowning glories of the guild. And thank you for (laughs) mentioning it. So (laughs) as we wrap up, I just want to ask you both what you're inspired to write about right now, or what is inspiring you in the world? Well, I would say for me, what is inspiring me in the world is to make sure that during this time of social um, correction, that we don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. I'm very interested in due process. I'm interested in taking people one at a time. And I'm very worried that as we create a future, we don't take opportunities that exist in exploring our past. I wanted to mention, Caroline, that I saw some interview with you where you said, we have to make friends with uncertainty because that's what's happening. And I I think that's a challenge for everyone. There's some grief going on right now about so many things that are going to be different for some unknown amount of time. Um, And... I would love to, like you, see us retain what's been working. And I'm also looking forward to questioning some of the um, paradigms we have in place. For instance, we love these anonymous submissions, and I really believe in them. But it's become apparent that readers will (laughs) Google the title and know exactly who they're recommending. And most people are afraid to step on a limb. It's just human nature. And that's another way that the people who have are getting more and the people who have not are getting less. And I think we need mm-hmm. to just rethink. I mean, the, in, the income inequity in our larger society is just obscene. Let's not imitate that with opportunity in our world. And as far as what I'm working on, you know, I've been very interested in the power relationship between gender, sex, power, and mm-hmm. how that, how women are often, um, are often sort of the ones who the truck runs over. And that has 
been the focus of a couple of my past plays, but more recently, I've been looking at larger systemic inequities in my work and also trying to remember that as passionate as I am about issues, these are human stories. So I've kept my eye on being less issue oriented and more, what are those little moments between human beings where you know mm-hmm. you've seen that and felt that, but you never see that except for on stage. It's the, mm-hmm. the truth of human behavior, I think, is sort of the writing that I'm interested in and, and the focus of my more recent work. Thank you so much. Thank you both for, for joining me today. It's been so great to hear your perspectives and insight. Looking forward to seeing you, Caroline, in honor roll. Yes. Sharing our opportunities and getting to know your voice, your beautiful voice. Yes, 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 Sarah. I'm so glad to know of you and of this organization, which I knew nothing about. I already feel less alone. My thanks to today's guests, Caroline Aaron and Sarah Tuft. Next week, we'll be discussing alternative access, looking outside traditional theater structures to find or create space. My guests will be Nicole Salter and Bianca Sands. Talkback is a production of the Dramatist Guild of America. It was produced by Sarah Storm, Amy Von Masek, and myself. Our music was composed by Andrea Daly. Robert Prime mixed our show. Special thanks to Tina Fallon, Terry Stratton, and the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee at the Dramatist Guild. I'm your host, Christine Toy Johnson. Please support your favorite theater however you can. We'll be back next week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.